I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. All right, welcome back. We're going to stay with the conversation about the pandemic and talk about the confusion that is out there right now surrounding the booster shots. Who can get them? Um, If you need to consider one, when are you considered fully vaccinated? So I want to break down some of the very recent news from the CDC and from locally Intermountain Healthcare on booster shots. Uh, Today, the CDC director, Rachel Walensky, said that as more people become eligible for booster shots, they may consider changing the definition of fully vaccinated. Right now, we don't have booster eligibility for all people um, currently. So we are going to, we we have not yet changed the definition of fully vaccinated. Um, We will continue to look at this. We may need to update our definition of fully vaccinated in the future. But right now, what I would say is if you're eligible for a booster, go ahead and get your booster and we will continue to follow. So as many things along this pandemic, we heard that today from the CDC, some clarity, and we have more information from a local doctor, Dr. Eddie Stenium from the Intermountain Healthcare Infectious Disease. He's a physician there, and he's recommending that we get booster shots for the same match. So if you got a Johnson & Johnson, follow up with that, Moderna, and so on and so on. Here's what he's telling us. The vast majority of people in Utah, given the accessibilities of the vaccine, should get a booster that matches their primary series. And if you have any questions about what's best for you, I'd say please reach out to your primary care provider and have that discussion. Okay, so let's take a minute to unpack a little bit of what we've been told. I think for many of us, the good news is there are the the FDA is finishing or has finished their process of telling us which the how to get the boosters and approving these boosters. So we know we have a, a tested and reviewed, reliable, safe alternative to for, for boosters. The other thing that I think is is great for those members of the public um, who are looking to get their their third shot is that we know the efficacy of the third shot is highly highly effective. The first uh, the first two or the first rounds to consider fully vaccinated. We know that the science is showing that they were they were pretty well. But as with many of these shots in this area, when you add that booster shot, you're really looking at a high efficacy rate. But interesting to see the two different variables about whether um, you should stick with the with with what you have or um, and move on and and cross mix. I think one advantage we have of living in Utah is availability by and large has been good. We've been able to get access into these. I want to talk for a second. Um, I want to add more of what uh, Dr. Stenium had to say about the data they have for matching boosters. The studies about looking at the effectiveness of a boosting strategy um, in clinical real-world data is pretty minimal. And so um, we are certainly more comfortable with the boosting of 
um, using that primary, or pardon me, using a booster that matches the primary series because we know that data. We're going to be certainly following very closely um, the effectiveness of boosting strategy. And if we see that one strategy is more effective than another, then we'd make that recommendation. So again, it's interesting. Again, we're, we're hearing slightly different methods, although uh, everyone in the medical community, the official medical community, seems to be in agreement that the boosters are a good way to go. Uh, the eligibility differs a little, um, as we've heard, and some of us will be six months after our last two, and some will be a little longer. At this point, I want to always remind us that As we're sorting through what's best for ourselves and our family, the best resources we have right now are our primary care physicians. And I think, again, in Utah, we have the good luck. We have great telemedicine here, and we also have um, great local physicians. And so reaching out, if you're confused and you're not certain, reaching out to your primary care physician has always been just such a good resource on sorting through all this. Um, I'm going to keep us going with some more information that uh, Dr. Stenium has given us about uh, the antibody and sort of what is the optimal condition that we want in our body to resist the COVID-19. We know that our antibody levels wane over time. That's normal. That's what happens after an acute illness or an exposure to vaccination. And what a booster does is it brings them back up to those levels that we saw after the original series. Um, and so at this point, there's there's no concern about too high of antibody levels. So this has been such a hot topic about uh, antibodies and who's resistant and who's not. And we certainly have a lot to learn. But one thing I'm always struck when we talk about these issues are they're rather in keeping with other diseases we've had for decades on these issues. And we know that antibodies wane and and uh, ebb, but we also um, have always known that boosters are required. So I, I, I am on the team that is a little surprised when people have been shocked or view it as um, a black eye against our past immunizations that we need boosters. I find that a pretty normal, I mean, as someone who who annually gets a flu shot, it seemed rather intuitive to me. What I've been impressed with is the uh, sense of assuredness that 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 third shot seems to be giving people and um, what we could do to protect ourselves. So it also brings up this this notion of where we are in the status of Utah right now, where are we on on COVID-19 and the impact that it's having on our overall system? So we made sure to ask those questions while we had Dr. Stinium on the line. And uh, this gives us a sense of an update of the ICU capacity that we have currently in Utah. So across our system, when we look at our ICUs, we're still at max capacity. So as of this morning, we're at 100% um, max capacity right now in our COVID ICU hubs. When we look at all of our ICUs, we're at 98% capacity. When we look at our state-level data, what we're seeing is that we're really at a high plateau of cases. So this speaks to, for me, this speaks to the why we all need to do our little part because this notion of the system being overwhelmed with COVID-19 has been something that's been weighing heavy on many of us. And this notion that other people who are having elective surgeries or even having some amount of non-life-threatening urgent surgeries delayed because of overall healthcare capacity when we can alleviate it by doing um, 
by doing our work. And I, you know, we've been the rounds on this discussion. I heard a really good conversation this morning about the why part of getting your vaccine. And it was somewhat an argument that said, well, sure. I mean, personally, it does a lot. But if you're still not valuing that personally, it's the social contract we've made with each other to make our public spaces as safe and as amenable for everyone that would be using those. And sort of an argument that said, if not do it for yourself, do it for the broader community um, in this highly charged, highly political issue. It, it still seems to me that the thoughtfulness and consideration that Americans have had um, throughout our history about the collective community and how we keep each other safe is sort of an overriding um, sense of that. I'm going to fill in the back end of those comments by again having him, uh, the doctor from Intermountain Healthcare, Dr. Stenium, continue to describe what's going on in our hospitals today. Um, of all those people with COVID-19 illness in our hospitals, 80 to 90 percent of them are unvaccinated. When you dig in further to that data and you look and say, what do the patients look like that are fully vaccinated that come in with COVID? Well, those patients are significantly older. Um, and generally, it's approximately 20 years older than those people that come in with COVID that are unvaccinated. And they also have lots of medical comorbidities as compared to those that are coming in with unvaccinated so I'm going to wrap this part by challenging us with the questions that we're fighting amongst ourselves with right now, which is this notion of personal rights, personal responsibilities, who gets to tell me what to do, um, and 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 safety for our family in very different points of view. But I think for me, the one thing that keeps charging through the day is going back to data we trust and people we trust. And... I think that the medical community should be a stronger touchstone for us than perhaps the pundit and the political community that, frankly, I often live in. And so while I know we all wish we had more tight information, I think today's news and clear directives from our local officials, I think Utahns by and large will have the opportunity to stay within the same vaccine they had before, that they're not going to have to worry about um, mixing and matching much. And what we know is they are really effective uh, for fighting this pandemic that's been weighing our communities down. Interesting, again, conversation. We're going to switch gears. Uh, A lot of people are concerned with the rise of crime right now in Salt Lake City. As a Salt Lake City resident, this is something I've been paying attention to. Inside Sources spoke with a community leader, David Abara, about what we could do and why those who don't live in the capital city should care. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.